0: Hello and welcome to the AK-47 Podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey and today I'm going to do a sort of special edition bonus episode with my daughter who has finally agreed to spend some time on my show. She's been working really hard trying to finish up her senior year of high school. So I have been not pestering her as much as I otherwise would be to be a guest. Um, But today is kind of a special day in some ways because I am turning 50. This is my 50th birthday. And I had all these wonderful plans that I was was gonna jet off and have some wonderful trip. But now, as you may know, we're all in quarantine. And so I've been quarantined at home for about a month and a half with my family. And today I woke up and I decided to flip through Kathy Porter's wonderful biography of Alexandra Kolontai. If you haven't read it, I strongly suggest that you get it. It's published by Haymarket Books. It was recently just re-released in a new edition. And I was reading about Kolontai when she turned 50 in 1922. And things were going pretty bad for Kolontai. She had recently joined the workers' opposition, which was challenging Lenin's authority and the centralization of the Bolshevik party. Her marriage with Dubenka was kind of on the rocks and sort of falling apart. And so I'm just going to read a very brief section from page 367 of the new edition of the Alexander Kolontai biography, And then I'm going to have a kind of a hopefully fun and free-flowing conversation with my daughter about sort of generational divisions, especially on the left. At the age of 50, with her prestige in the party at its lowest and her political future frighteningly uncertain, she was resigned to the fact that her great love for Dubenko was over. Yet he had been showering her with letters and telegrams from Odessa, insisting that the new woman in his life meant nothing to him and that he could not live without her. No longer sure what to believe, she suffered sleepless nights and more angina attacks and finally decided to visit him and end the relationship. He had recently been promoted again to commander of the Black Sea Fleet, and in Odessa, he was living in style in a luxurious villa overlooking the Black Sea coast. Their time there together was filled with arguments and grief, and she met his new girlfriend. Just a girl like any other, she wrote to Zoya, and felt trapped and humiliated, desperate to set him free to marry her. She described the night it all came to a head. They were walking in the garden, quote, in the stifling heat, with the sweet smell of roses in the air and the dark waves of the sea below splashing in the moonlight, more arguments, more arguments. My last words, I'm leaving for Moscow on Wednesday," unquote. He ran off and a moment later, a shot rang out in the house. She found him lying on the veranda with a revolver in his hand, and he was rushed to the hospital, barely alive. The exact nature of his injuries is not known, but although clearly serious, he survived. And after he left the hospital, she stayed on to nurse him. In those difficult months, There, she took comfort in writing, finishing her second letter to young workers, morality as a form of class rule and class struggle. It was written partly in response to criticisms of the first letter in which she had insisted there could be no 10 commandments for love. It was love in all its different forms, she had written, erotic, comradely, and maternal love, the simultaneous love for two people, which would, quote, weave the threads of a whole new web of social relationships and a new society of our own creation in which we are no longer merely lonely spectators and travelers, unquote. She wrote in her second letter, too, of this multifaceted love, but it was qualified now by an individual's obligation to the collective. In an age of increasing psychological complexity, love was so far removed from its original impulse, the biological instinct of reproduction, and was often in direct opposition to it, that a person's behavior could be assessed now only in terms of the interests of society as a whole. And however deeply two people loved each other, quote, the ties binding them to the collective will always be stronger, more complex, and better organized, unquote. She had written in similar terms before of the collective to mean the working class. The difference here was that it now stood for the party and the nation, and there was so much of her own experience in her conclusion that, quote, If someone does not obey and support the collective's rules, they will not be tolerated in its midst. And expulsion is the most terrible punishment a person can know. And of course, this is really prescient because exactly at this particular moment in time, as Lenin is dying and Stalin is consolidating his power in the Soviet Union, Many old Bolsheviks are being expelled from the party for factionalism, and Kolontai herself is at great risk because of the stand she took against Lenin and the Bolsheviks. So this poor woman has just turned 50. Her marriage is falling apart. She tries to break up with her husband, who's already living with another woman, and he runs off and shoots himself and almost dies. And she goes back to Moscow, and she's pretty summarily sent out of Moscow on a diplomatic uh, mission to Norway by Stalin to just get her out of the way. And she's pretty deflated and depressed and life kind of sucks. She manages to sort of pick herself up eventually. And so I was reading this this morning and thinking, okay, like, yeah, quarantine sucks, but life was way worse for Kolontai in 1922. And then I just started thinking about Kolontai was 45 when the Bolsheviks came to power. She turns... 50 in 1922, and here she is writing these letters to working youth. There are three of them. I've read one of them, Make Way for Winged Eros, on this podcast, and she's trying to give advice as a 50-year-old woman to people, young people, especially young students in college, about how they should live their lives and morality. And sometimes I wonder if the circumstances of the Soviet Union in 1922 what could young people in Soviet Russia possibly learn from Kolontai, who was raised in a completely different era, in a completely different form of government, even though she struggled and fought for the revolution, the sort of knowledge that she has from her own youth isn't really that relevant to the youth of Soviet Russia in 1922. So then I started thinking, why am I giving anybody advice or talking about any of these things So I'd like to invite my daughter to comment, perhaps. One of the things that we've been talking about a little bit is the OK Boomer meme and the boomer remover. When COVID first started appearing, people were making jokes about being a boomer remover. And then, of course, we more recently were talking about Karen memes on TikTok and sort of the the, dis, the disdain that many people seem to have for a particular brand of white, middle-class, suburban, housewife, mom, whatever figure that sort of seems to generalize, you know, about middle-aged women in particular or in general. I don't know. What do you think? You, you'll tell me. Is there anything useful to be learned from people who grew up in a very different world than the world that you're going to graduate into during the coronavirus and after the coronavirus?
1: I mean... I really think that if things weren't relevant, like, if if your experiences were not relevant today, then why do we read any books? Why do we have any literature classes? I mean, people still go back and read, like, the Epic of Gilgamesh, and they read, you know, Homer, and and, uh, the Aeneid, and, like, you know, Dante. Like, what the heck does Dante have to say about our experience? He doesn't even know what, like... A light bulb is like he's never. He, I mean, there are so many things that we experience that Dante never did, and yet people still find profound meaning in his work, and that goes to. I mean, that's like the same with Shakespeare and all sorts of. So I think that the human condition doesn't just kind of ephemerally, continuously change with technology. There's something deeper at the core of humanity that you know become being a person and living in the world. You learn about it, and so I think that any older person probably has at least some no worthwhile knowledge. Whether or not they can express that knowledge is more of a question. But I I definitely think that it's not completely useless. Mm-hmm. I mean, Alexander Kholtai, like she was trying to pass down advice to the youth, but yeah, and she didn't live under communism. She has a she's living, you know, she grew up under a completely different system. But I think. I mean, my, my interpretation of her work is very much like, you know, that she's looking forward to the time, to a completely different society. And, and part of her, her advice is by, is taking, sort of being aware of how things have changed. Like, a lot of youth today take for granted how much progress there's been with, you know, racial and um, sexism and, like, all sorts of social justice issues. Like, we still have things to fix and things to improve on, but things are a lot better than they used to be and you know having you know some input from older people to actually say look when i was when i was a kid i went to segregated bathrooms and, yeah. and things like that and that it's not ancient history which is what young people often forget
0: right and you know it's interesting because alexander colantai actually wrote soon in 50 years this story about imagining what life would be like in the Soviet Union in 1950 in 1922 when she wrote when she turned 50 so she was imagining 50 what another a lifetime of her would be in the future right so she was obviously very much thinking about her own age but let me ask you like there's been a lot of discussion in the media i don't know maybe it's artificial of like boomers versus millennials and you know, Gen X and Gen Z and all these different finely tuned generational divisions. I mean, do you think that's just a way? Do you think that just is just an expression of of technology? The fact that people like me don't really seem to get TikTok very much, or, or is it is it tracking something different?
1: I I really I don't know. I can't. I mean, there are so many. If you look at like the Pew Research Center to try to look at like they have generational divides because they think about like older people and and younger people, and how, you know, they have different political views, and things like that. And they sort of define the boundaries to be like, you know, Millennials end in 1995, and begin, and like Zoom, that's when Gen Z begins, and like, I think like 1980-something, maybe is um, the, the boundary between Gen X and Millennials. But the thing is that you go to like a slight, you go to a different source, and there are completely different guidelines for what defines Gen Z, so I think that, in Gen Z or Millennials or mm-hmm. Gen X or anything, and I think that people aren't that aware, I mean, like, not many people think about what the generational divides are, like, for for example, people call, like, Karens, the idea of a Karen, most actual Karens that you would consider, like, oh, that's a Karen, like, you know, the upper-middle-class, class, like, mi- upper middle class, suburban, white mom who's like, I want to talk to your manager and like really, you know, they tend to be rude to service workers mm-hmm. um, is the main characteristic that is, you know, made jokes about on on like TikTok and things like that. But the thing about it, the thing is that they're, they're mostly Gen X. They're, they're younger than boomers are, but they're called boomers. So, I mean, I think that the, it's about taking, like, no, but people don't take time to understand Like why there are these generational conflicts and divides being the, a lot of times i feel like my my the youth the the gen zers and sort of some millennials they just think that anybody over the age of 35 is just evil
0: mm. and
1: then and you know people over the age of 35 think sometimes think that anybody under the age of 35 is also evil and entitled and bratty and, right. and, lazy have and whiny and they snowflakes snowflakes <laughs> and and so i i mean yeah there are some people who are definitely snowflakes and there are some Gen Xers and boomers who are totally awful yeah. and racist and, Karen's, you know, yeah. k- Karens. Like, there I mean, there are <laughs> Karens out there that you would not want to be in a room with for no more than five seconds. <laughs> yes. That is just, a, that's just truth. There are people who suck. But, the, it, you know, the problem is much more, in my, in my opinion, is much more with generalization. Mm. And, and saying, like, oh, you know, once you make a label, like a Karen or a boomer, it's so easy to apply it to someone without taking the time to kind of be like, well, is she a Karen?
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, I appreciate the fact that you don't like generalizations. Nobody likes generalizations. But there is, you know, the reality that certainly people older than me, I think, but even some people my age... You know, we had a we had it a lot easier than you have it. I really see the difference, right? In my experience of graduating high mm-hmm. school and going off to college and yeah. worrying about how to pay for college and things like that. Yeah. And also, you know, you're inheriting a pretty screwed up environment and a, a broken system <laughs> of capitalism that mm-hmm. is not functioning anymore in the United States. You know, the pandemic has really exposed the fault lines. So I kind of understand the resentment on some level. Oh,
1: Yeah, so I definitely think that there are serious issues with I mean, the boomers totally messed up the environment and the world and the economy. And I I'm with at the risk of sounding like an entitled Zoomer. Um <laughs> That's I can't wait for them all to die off. And so then eventually we're all gonna take our get our hands on the world and we'll probably mess it up in some other way that the next generations are going to have to deal with. But no, I do think that there are issues. and and going actually, going along with that, I, there are kind of two ways of defining a generation. And so the first one, as I was saying, is sort of like that these these date marks that you can kind of impose and say. And then the other way, which is sort of related, is what are the experiences that define the generation? and And that, I think is that's really significant for the question that you just asked because, you know, a lot of boomers are defined as, you know, growing up during more like the 60s and the 70s and like sort of the, the Cold War. And then Gen X is much more marked by growing up during during the 80s. And it's the, the, Reagan, the, the, era. the Reagan era, the high tension and, and like, you know, the direct threat of like complete nuclear fallout. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, and I mean, especially not in the US, but people who were, you know, adolescents, uh, like my dad, mm-hmm. who... When communism fell, that must have been so catastrophic and so you know paradigm sh- changing for them. And I mean, you know, my dad he graduated from uh from law school in a country that doesn't exist anymore. That's just kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And so there and there are crazy things like that. And then another the way that people define or the way that I've read things that define millennials as people who remember the the recession of 2008 mm-hmm. and 9/11. Mm-hmm. And so those are hugely impactful. On a, on your psyche, and and it's there's actually this. It's I think it's a theory of politics um, called the impressionable years hypothesis, which is that you know in your you know 15 to 25 range of when you start becoming much more politically conscious and because you kind of become like a thinking person um, for the first time in your life, what happens during those impressionable years is really important and defines like how you're going to kind of move forward with your life. So it's it find like it perfectly explains I think why so many young people are fully embracing socialism and democratic socialism and like a lot of the support for Bernie's campaign this year came from young people. Whereas people who grew up during the Cold War, I mean it's it's history for us. We have we never experienced the Cold War. Millennials never experienced it. Whereas Gen Xers and especially boomers, they they were, you know, kind of brainwashed. By, I mean, the CIA and the government, they put so much money into brainwashing America's youth. Mm -hmm. It comes as no surprise that they are so adamantly, you know, staunchly opposed to anything that is considered red or communist at all. Because that's just how they grew up. That's what their impressionable years were shaped around. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't think that it's really their fault that that was... You know, they, they were... Their
0: impressionable they're years. Their impressionable
1: years. I mean, they, it wasn't their choice to be, you know, indoctrinated with all kinds of propaganda. It was, you know, the generation, the, the great generation, the World War II generation. And when they were in power, it was their fault. So, you yeah. know, really, all of the old people... You well, know, some of those great you know, generation <laughs> people are still alive. They are. They're and still they're, in Congress. Yeah. yeah, And they should probably get out.
0: Yeah. make um, <laughs> room for some young blood, right? Yeah,
1: and so I think that the, the problem is that you know it's it's hard to kind of say well it's totally their fault they've messed up the environment and they've made our lives and they they keep you know trump and all of his like the republicans who are com- continuously like breaking down the um the uh, EPA mm-hmm. um, and and it's just it's so frustrating the environmental protection agency yeah the, yeah. the environmental protection agency it's like they're not even going to live long enough to experience this like the, the fact that, and, and we've, I think, I remember during Brexit, most of the people who were voting to leave were old people who it wouldn't have even mattered because they would be dead by the time that it actually happened. Mm. And so, I mean, there are so many people, like such a huge part of the population is not going to live long enough to really see the effects of what they're doing mm-hmm. and of what they're voting for. And that is a huge problem. And so because of you know, residual brainwashing Um, you know, older generations, they're so staunchly, like, you know, kind of stubborn about their beliefs, because, yeah, that's what they were, that's what they were brainwashed with. Right. Whereas, um, and that, that creates animosity between generations, because my, like, we just don't understand, like, why are you so against literally one word, like, a word? There are so I many, even my peers... They, they say communism is bad. Communism is great in theory, but it would never work. And they don't have an explanation for why. Because they're, that's just what they're taught. They're, they're not told. They're not given reasons. They're not allowed to think through it themselves. It's very much like you take what you're given and then you just believe it. And so I think that causes a lot of problems. And it causes friction.
0: Yeah. And it's,
1: you know, it's fair. It's... It makes sense why it has happened if you actually look at the history. Yeah, yeah. But it's really sad. It
0: is really sad. And you know, and that's why I, I sort of you know, I was as I was reading that Colintai passage this morning and I was thinking she was she was at a really low point and she mm-hmm. had done so much and she had fought so long and they'd actually won the revolution and got rid of the Tsar and things were supposed to be getting better and they actually got, got worse. worse. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe sometimes like really profound social change. It it it's not just an upward slope, right? Sometimes it gets pretty bad before one step it gets forward, better. Two
1: st- er, one yeah, two steps two step forward, one step back.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and yet, yeah, you know, obviously, most of the women of Kolontai's generation in 1922 probably were completely opposed to the Bolsheviks, right? They hated her yeah. precisely because of her trying to think and understand young people and build a new and better world. And so the irony of it, it seems to me, is it's damned if you do and damned if you don't. <laughs> At a certain point, you just sort of passed your expiration date of relevance. Although there are people like Chomsky. Yeah. I mean, there are people who stay relevant for much longer than... I mean,
1: it's I, I know that it's a sort of vaguely analogous, but I mean... David Bowie was relevant for 40 years. That's true. And, you know, it helped that he was a man. Yeah. And that his aging wasn't, you know, completely. But, you know, Madonna, she still came out with a pretty banger album. Yeah. And, you know, she made a lot of money probably on that. You know, she had good music. So I think that it is much harder to, to, for, for, you know, women especially, to kind of connect with the youth. But I don't think that it's a totally futile pursuit because mm-hmm. you are going to end up connecting with some people, no matter what. Um, that's just, I mean, people who listen to this podcast, it's so niche. Yeah. And, like, thank you so much for listening. <laughs> yes, to thank us just, like, you. To Yes. <laughs> on, about, like, generational divisions because, yeah. you know, yeah, it's not something, like, you're not going to be able to mass market, like, yeah. Alexandra Kolontai yeah. greetings but you know that doesn't mean that it's a totally useless right. exercise. Yeah,
0: and yeah, and maybe you know it's it could it's profound in the way that like somebody has to do it yeah. right. Not everybody. I mean, there are podcasts about like you know tuning forks and
1: well i mean i've seen i've seen podcasts that are like you know dedicated to like analyzing yeah like dedicated to analyzing rap music or right. breaking down each episode of the wire for an hour and a half yeah.
0: like that's right. pretty niche yeah, yeah pretty niche <laughs> yeah. and
1: people listen to right. it and i get
0: recommended yeah. to it and so it, it
1: is like yeah. you know it's it's a thing yeah it's I think that's just part of our information age. There's such a surplus of information because we have so much increasingly more niche things that we can look at and and engage with. And I think that that's really great if you're interested in seeking out the very specific niches that you're interested in. But it can also, I think it might come at a cost of just complete overload overload yeah
0: and that, i think that's something that i worry about sometimes right on some level i, I you know i've been thinking a lot about it because you know colin I wrote these three stories precisely in 1922 uh-huh. these letters to working youth there were three of them uh-huh. and they got her in all sorts of trouble and they made her a laughing stock you know and it, in some ways it was like she was way out of her depth trying to tell young people how they should love and what love would look like in the future and you know, they were they were pretty they were like the ramblings of a of a middle-aged woman who, you know, probably was slightly megalomaniacal in her own sense of self-importance to the party and certainly to the future of Russian women. And yet at the same time, you know, almost a hundred years later, I feel like those letters are some of the best things that she wrote
1: yeah they were yeah. out
0: they were totally out of context and ridiculed at the time, and yet a hundred years later, reading those letters and understanding the pain and suffering in her personal life that she was going through as you know, she dealt with this mm-hmm. husband leaving her and then shooting himself and those letters still resonate with people.
1: and I just don't I, I think that the, the problem is that there is some I mean with any artistic pursuit of anything it's it's part it's about self-fulfillment as well as anything else i mean this i there's this song that i've been listening to a lot recently called the sunscreen song or it's called Every, everybody's free to wear sunscreen and the origins of the song it's sort of a it's a commencement speech but it was never a real commencement speech it was written by this columnist in the chicago tribune in like 1997 because she i mean basically the intro is like everybody wants to be a commencement speaker and pass down advice um, and I would probably never get to do so, but if I did, this is what my commencement speech was. And the title of the, the, the original op-ed is um, Advice Like Youth Probably Wasted on the Young. And, so, and, and, and the thing that about that piece is that I've been listening to the music version of it, Um, constantly, and it resonates with me really deeply as somebody who's, you know, about to go out into the world and kind of wants, I want advice like that. But the reason she wrote that, partially, it was, you know, for some passerby who wants to get some advice, but it was also just for her to sort of be able to kind of express herself and, like, give the advice that she would want to give and have sort of a record of that. And so I think that... The reason why we might find Colin Tye's letters so much more interesting and and resonating now is because we actually know what context her it, it was in her life, and you know I think that the reason that you know doing this podcast and and her doing that it should have I'm glad I hope for her it was about kind of giving out what she wanted to give and it doesn't really matter if people ridicule you or if nobody wants to reciprocate that you know they don't have to take it up they don't have to read it or listen to it just like this podcast but it's nice that it's out there and it's good to produce it just for yourself you know yeah and who knows it might benefit someone in the end yeah and that's that. just that's just where i am right
0: now in my (laughs) philosophy that sounds good to me (laughs) all right well on that very optimistic note thank you so much for listening this has been the ak47 podcast stay healthy and safe and keep up the good fight